Hi, y'all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story Kids Edition, a podcast that helps kids and teens shift their vibration, develop their intuition, and become more empowered. If you want to feel a deeper connection to the divine, better understand your purpose, and use your intuition to drive your life, then being here listening now is no coincidence. Welcome to A Psychic Story Kids Edition. All babies are brought into the world with a strong connection to spirit and the divine. However, as children grow and acclimate to this world, that connection can become less distinct. Many studies have been conducted which show that a lot of young children remember their past lives, see and talk to deceased relatives they never knew, and even have abilities like healing or sensing energy. As children get older, however, peer influences through school and after-school activities can create discomfort around these things, causing them to disconnect even more from their supernatural abilities. Many teens, especially, experience what we've labeled the shutdown, where they turn down or tune out their spiritual selves and no longer see so-called imaginary friends, angels, or sense energy as easily. To help us understand this transition and how teens can reconnect with their spiritual gifts and to give the adults who love them the tools to do so, we've invited Dr. Karen Fox to join us for this episode. Dr. Karen Fox worked for over 30 years as a nurse and a pediatric nurse practitioner before switching careers to her current job as a clinical psychologist. Her medical background and training in clinical psychology help her to provide a holistic approach to patients and clients of all ages. Her unique experience as a USAF veteran also allows her to understand the unique challenges facing military active duty members and their families. And as an intuitive herself and someone who has her own psychic experiences, Dr. Fox works with teens and parents who are struggling with the issues that come with these types of abilities, including depression, anxiety, learning disabilities, behavioral disorders, PTSD, and complex relationships, among other things. It is her belief that with general guidance, everyone can awaken and nurture their capabilities within themselves and face their challenges with love and gratitude. Welcome, Dr. Fox. Thank you so much for joining us for this important topic. I'm happy to be here. Well, you definitely have an impressive background. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we dive into this topic? I think... You know, I started out in nursing, which was about the body and the physical realm. And then, you know, as a nurse practitioner, learned more about that. And then as a psychologist, the mind part. And but I felt this hunger for adding spirit in because I feel like it's it's so needed, you know, in Western medicine and in our in our Western culture. And that's sort of how I ended up, you know, exploring this other realm as well. Well, why is the topic of psychic and intuitive children and teens important to you? 
as a psychologist, I, I evaluated a lot of children early on. I used to do a whole lot of learning disabilities evaluations, a lot of interviews with children. And I began to realize that there were some children with, with real gifts that, that were outside of the typical experience that children were coming in, sharing with us. And that there wasn't a map for it because I work in a practice where several, you know, very, very good clinicians. And when I'd ask, well, hey, who's doing this work? You know, I was met with like blank faces and I'm like, oh, all right, nobody's talking about this. You know, at least not people that that are within the, the circle that I was practicing in. And however, these are experiences that children have. And I've had one of my own children most certainly had a spiritual awakening. I, at the time, was a graduate student and did not know what was happening. I thought maybe my child might be schizophrenic or having, you know, a psychotic break. And at that time, you know, I sought psychological services and a neurologist to kind of help make sense of that. And however, many years later, knowing what I know now, looking back, I realized that what was going on. But it really scared her so much that she stopped anything in that realm. She didn't want to explore anything about spirituality because the experiences that she had were so frightening. So what was it that had you kind of shifting perspective and inviting that spiritual part into your life, into your belief system, into your practice? Well, I had, I became interested in it anyway, and I was interested in energy healing. And I just had this thirst for this other piece of soul. And, you know, and I was going through a difficult time in my own life and seeking guidance and wanting spiritual support. And so I started taking classes, you know, in psychic development and learning about the Claire's, learning how psychic information and these gifts are so different person to person to person, so unique, and how, you know, even each child is different when they come in and what they are experiencing and what their gifts are. And it just led me, you know, I've been on that journey for at least about three years now, and I still have a lot to learn, but I'm in there trying. So as you've, as you've kind of opened up, and maybe you can share some stories without maybe breaking client confidentiality, but how have you then kind of opened up with your clients or or have you? I have. I As part of my initial interview with families, I always ask about spiritual beliefs. You know, is a child raised, has the child been raised in any specific, you know, religious, you know, doctrine? And culturally, I ask about cultural backgrounds. And then when I have a teenager, you know, if it's teenager face-to-face and I ask younger children too, I ask them you know, because it might be very different than what their parents' ideas are. So I explore, I always explore it as part of just my initial interview to know what, what's going on. And, and many times parents w- would come in saying, hey, my child reports this. I had one child that came in, this was a, years ago for a learning disability evaluation, and the parent was saying, my child sees fairies, you know, and and I was like, okay, you know, of course, I have a whole differential diagnosis going through my head. It's this, it's this, could be this, you know, I have that I am always ticking through and figuring out diagnosis. But in the course of the evaluation, when I was testing the child, 
there was energy in the room that was not from science that as we know it, you know, I had a, as she started to get really stressed with one of the tasks and the testing, I had a balance that was sitting across the room. It was this little dolphin that you had to get it started and then it would balance back and forth, but you had to initially start it. It started going back and forth on its own across the room so vigorously that I thought it was going to fall off the shelf. And and just when I was speaking with the parent later, I just said, hey, you know, I'm not going to be writing this in the report or anything, but you might want to know about this experience that I had. You know, I didn't label it or give it a name at that time. I've gotten a little more brazen since, you know, but at that point, I just said, this happened. And so what she might be experiencing, it might be accurate. And then I have found within certain cultures, it's more accepted in families when, when there are family members, generation to generation that have these gifts. And in those families, it's open. Oh, so you have that gift. And, and it's very much welcomed and talked about within the family, within the culture. And and it's very different because I think many times when these things happen, like it did with my own daughter, it's very frightening for the family. And it's very frightening for the child when you don't know what's happening. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dr. Fox, is that I de- didn't really think about it. I've heard or I believe that it's kind of, it's through DNA or it's through family lineage. We all have the abilities. It's my perspective. I know that there's some controversy out there, whether that's the case or not, but I feel like we all have the abilities. Some of it's just tuned up or turned on more than others, right? But I never really thought about the fact that if the family hasn't had other people or other experiences, then how much more jarring it could be. It may be the family members did and they didn't talk about it, right? But in your experience, does it is it more common to have like families that have similar experiences or family members or what have you found with that i'm not really sure you know but i've but i have what i have found is when it's very accepted within the culture and within and within the family that the child copes with it better you know and they come with sort of labels for it you know it's a skiff or it's this thing that my grandmother had and it's not frightening so for those kids who maybe aren't supported, um, and I'll just use myself as an example, right? My family was not supportive of my gifts growing up. They were scared by it. And so I was told to keep it under wraps and to not say anything about it. In your research, in, the, in your experience, what sorts of difficult issues might psychic or intuitive kids or teenagers experience? Anxiety and depression, sometimes PTSD. But certainly anxiety and depression. Why is that? (laughs) I mean, I think I know the answer, but (laughs) because of my own experience. When anyone stays anxious for so much time, eventually depression is going to be a companion to that. And But many, many times they come in and they are clinically depressed. and, And I'm in the process of figuring out what the different layers are. You know, because diagnosis for me is only important as far as so that I know I have the right treatment plan, you know, for this child. I'm finding, too, that some adolescents, just because they have these gifts and these experiences, don't necessarily want to do anything with them right away. Some of them, I think, I think of them as incubating. 
<laughs> you know, it's not like they have decided that, no, I'm never doing anything with this. It's just their adolescents are so busy with so many different things in their life and so many tasks that they have before them that they don't have a lot of time. If they are busy in their life, if they're busy in their school life, they have any extracurricular activities. They don't have a lot of time or, you know, heaven forbids if they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know. All of those things consume so much of their mental energy and their physical energy. I don't think they have a lot of time to explore a lot of this unless it is within their religion or their culture and there is support. So, you know, obviously teenagers especially have just a ton going on. Like you were saying, puberty, peer and social media influences. It, for a sensitive kid, that can be extremely overwhelming they might want to shut down, you know, obviously the spiritual aspect of themselves, or they just simply don't have time for it. But in that regard, what are some of the other problems that teens might face, either at school or at home, surrounding like empathy or intuitive abilities? And how would you go about addressing that? I think some of the things are if, um, if I think that they have the potential to attach to more of a, a darkness trying to figure out some of these things. And trying to explore some ways of figuring out that might not be, you know, above. I think that they run the risk of just like an adolescent can have, if they surround themselves with a negative peer group, that they can become like that peer group. I think sometimes adolescents, in trying to explore things on their own without guidance or support for what they're experiencing, could dabble in more of the dark side, you know, if they get into like goth culture or they get into drug use, you know, they, they get into a negative peer group. And parents, you know, we run the risk of trying to keep our kids busy enough that they, they don't have time for some of those things. And, and they're busy with positive influences and growing, you know, in their, in their life. But we also have to monitor their friend group. You know, I, I, I feel like you have to have your ear to the ground to make sure that the friend influence and the things that your child is dabbling in, that you're not 100% hands off. You have to know what your child is exploring and learning and what they're, and especially what they're doing on the internet. I'd imagine that can be a little hard, right? As far as, because I was like, as you were talking, I'm thinking back through as we're children, we're growing up, we have such an immense sense of creativity and imagination and different types of outlets that we're able to kind of tap into and leverage or use to our advantage. And again, that's like an outlet energetically as well as mentally and emotionally. And then as we get into those teenage years, we then tend to look at our, like you said, peer group and friends and everything else. And how jarring could it potentially be if you're not able to share the spiritual experiences that you're going through as a child or as a teen, and you're, you know, talking about the topic here, the shutdown, that you want to fit in or you want to, again, find that peer setter or that group. And so I hear you when you say like parents should be monitoring and looking at things, but then also like we may not have all the answers here, but are there certain things that adults can be doing or parents can be doing that kind of help both that creative and imaginative outlet and then also with their friends and the peer group, I guess, is kind of where I'm going. 
because you get what I'm saying. It, it's like hard because you, you're not going to listen to your parents to be like, hang out with this person. And this is the type of person like you're bonding, you're becoming your own person and you're starting to find your community. And that community, that spiritual community may not exist at that age. I think by providing opportunities, learning opportunities, like, hey, I got this book. I thought it was interesting. You know, what do you think of it? I think providing opportunities like that, let's go explore this, you know, and it might be for you, it might not. Sometimes in adolescence, the more you try to push something, an agenda, because they're they're in that separation and individuation, you know, s- stage, anything that parents are going to suggest is not going to be cool. So it has to be, oh, by the way, hey, you, this might be interesting. Or, hey, I learned about this today and might be interested in it, it might not. But I think also making yourself available for conversation all the time with your child from parent to child that and I think sometimes you have to have activities that you do together that allow quiet time you know like I'm an outdoors woman I camp I kayak and hike and doing those things with my children allowing a lot of downtime you know even working where we have one-on-one time together where conversation could come up and we could talk about things. And my family, actually, we've been known to talk about things for hours. (laughs) You know, that reminds me, Dr. Fox. So obviously, I don't have children. But about 10 years ago, I did host an exchange student for a year. She was 17 at the time. And she calls me mom. We're, We're still very much in touch. But she had that angst and that, you know, shut everybody out and didn't want to talk. And so what we did and she was really, really, really into the goth culture and and kind of going towards that negative, the, the, you know, those negative vibrations spiritually. And she loved the show Supernatural, which is a really, it's a really fun show to watch. And so we would watch it together and she would, you know, we would talk about it and on the way to school or on the way home, whatever. And I would say, hey, what did you think about this? And do you think that's real? And do you Have you ever experienced anything like that? And so that brought up a lot of conversation and kind of opened up the doorway, I think, to having that communication and having that openness. So that was something we did. But I want to go back to something you said about like when kids are kind of making the switch from becoming, you know, more dependent on their peer groups and their families and things to kind of creating that individuation. What age does that really begin to happen when teens kind of or kids kind of start to develop their own sense of identity, that sort of thing? It's different from child to child, but it usually starts in middle school. You know, some kids are starting at a little bit earlier, but it usually starts in middle school. And and I think as parents, you have to allow certain things, you know, if they want to try on their hair color, you know, pick your battles. <laughs> you would rather, I think parents need to be aware that this is a part of their development and figuring out trying on things is one of the ways that they're going to figure out what is me and what is not me. And part of that's going to be many different things. It's going to be, hey, maybe I want to learn about Buddhism. You know, maybe I'm Wiccan, maybe. And then now there's a whole lot of, it seems like there's a whole lot of angst of adolescents figuring out what their sexuality is, you know, and I, I hear them going back and forth. Maybe I'm this and maybe I'm that, like they have to know what it is right now, you know, and and I always say, you know, hey, it's going to unfold and you're going to figure this out. And adolescents, you've got plenty of time to figure it out and you're going to figure it out in relationships as they're exploring 
who they're attracted to and, and how does a relationship work? You know, how do I have a romantic relationship to keep my friends and how do I navigate conflict? And it's a lot of things to learn. So as far as helping teachers and parents and, and others who might be listening, what can you tell them or encourage them with if they have a teenager who is experiencing some psychic things and used to be psychic and are now completely shut down? They're not open to it anymore. They don't want to talk about it. What would you say to them? I would think if they're totally not wanting to deal with it, if they don't want to talk about it and they don't, they're just don't want to hear anything about it. I think as a parent, just allowing that, because it doesn't mean that it's, it's, they're going to always be that way. Sometimes when parents stop trying to push an agenda, the kids come around to it on their own. But I think providing opportunities to learn about how psychic development can present and different ways it can present and, and different people who have different abilities. Oh, and, and just teaching about those things naturally in everyday life, just like you teach about other differences in culture and nationality and sort of a matter-of-fact way of introducing how psychic abilities can evolve so that it, it's not seen as something very strange and unusual. And that there are ways that you could enhance and learn. Because I have found that approach works so much better with adolescents than I think you should do this and I think you should do that. I have found that if you just kind of lean out there and you keep an open door of communication open and you provide knowledge and then let them figure out and dabble in some of these things in a healthy way you know, and offer, this is option. If you're ever interested in this, we maybe could consider this and just offer those opportunities. I think that they'll gravitate back to it. So if a parent has a child maybe who is psychic or was psychic or has had these experiences, but they don't know themselves, maybe they're not psychic themselves and they're worried, they're concerned, their kid might be schizophrenic, like you said you were with your daughter. What kind of things can they do if they don't know? I mean, obviously, we're here talking about this today, which I think is a tool. This is one of the reasons Nicole and I decided we wanted to do this podcast. How would you talk to parents about if they come into you to see you and are like, my kid's hearing voices and seeing things? What would you say to that parent? It depends on how the child is presenting and what the child's presenting with. Because for me, I have to go through differential diagnosis, I have to think, you know, is a child clinically depressed? Is this child having depression with psychotic features? Is this child having a brain tumor? Is this child having seizures? You know, I mean, there are a lot of bad things that could present with perceptual disturbance. So I'm going to be ticking through all of these things. Are there other symptoms involved where I need to be worried? I need to get the pediatrician involved. I need to get the primary care provider involved. So I'm going to be always trying to rule out anything that I think needs immediate attention. And and then also it depends on on the child. You know, are they suicidal or having suicidal thoughts? Do I need to intervene immediately to secure safety? So it depends on how the child is presenting and what other things might be going on. It'll probably be the first visit or the second visit or the third visit might not be the time where I would have that dis that discussion about, I think your child might be, you know, having psychic gifts and that's what's coming on board, this spiritual awakening. It would take me time before I would go, yeah, I think this is what's going on. 
And some people probably reach out because they've already gone through all of that too, right? Like hopefully a parent or an adult has kind of ruled those things out because they've talked to their pediatrician or their doctor or what have you. And so when they're coming to you, it's it's an added bonus to be able to get into the mind and the emotions and then we're able to uncover that layer, right? Might not always be the case. Mostly I have them coming in and some of those things haven't been. You know, maybe the pediatrician has seen them and they answered a questionnaire about depression and ended up in my office because of that. Yeah, that conversation comes later. Usually I meet with parents first and then my next is a child interview. And then we get back together to talk about care plan. And then I meet primarily with the, with the adolescent and occasionally touching base with parent just to see. Adolescents don't always tell you what's going on, so you got to check in with parents sometimes to see what their perspective is about what's going on, because the parent and I and the child, I consider us all a team. Well, are there any tips or resources that you could share with our audience specifically for teens so they can maybe stay open spiritually or parents can, in, in, you know, encourage their kids? Obviously, you know, you shared to kind of say, oh, make some time, let's let's connect kind of things. Is there anything else you can recommend? I just finished reading this book that I thought was really, really good. It was Your Psychic Child, Raise Intuitive and Spiritually Gifted Children of All Ages. It was Sarah Wiseman. And I love the way that she handles the discussion with parents in the book because she actually kind of talks about, she goes through the Claire's and she talks about how different gifts could present so that parents could go, oh, this could be my child, you know, and, and realize that there are all of these differences. And then she gives very good advice about how to nurture those things in, in dealing with, with kids. But there are, there are a lot of different books out there that parents could use as a resource to start exploring if they're open to it. And that's the other piece. You know, might have a child that's interested in exploring, but the parent's not there yet. If a parent is closed off, but a child goes to another adult who is open, what would you recommend that that adult do with that child? Anything or just stay hands off? It depends on what the family's beliefs are. It depends on what the parents, because some parents have strict religious beliefs and we're not going to entertain anything else. And I wouldn't want to, I always would give children options of things that, that you can learn about these, you know, but these are things that you might want to explore. It has to be okay within your family context. I would not want to cross the parent's belief system, but also allow the child to know that there, that there are other ways to gather information when the timing is right for them. Because, I, you know, I see some kids that go to religious schools and there's very strict religious beliefs about and those parents, ethically, I would not want to cross those boundaries, you know, with the family. But I would let the kid know that there are other options, you know, because I'm seeing kids that are about getting ready to go off to college and that there are things that they could explore different times. 
he could probably say something like, well, when you're of age and you're 18, like there's these other options and come to me then, or here are some additional resources you can look at or talk to your parents about this or what have you. And I think that's, you know, it's a great question to see as a teacher, but also like I'm an aunt, right? So luckily my sister is in the same kind of, you know, woo-woo or spiritual world as like I am. So I have that to my advantage, but if she wasn't and my nephews or, you know, were coming to me and they were having questions, I could probably push the boundaries a little bit more as a family member versus somebody who's not in the family unit and what that looks like. So I think you kind of have to look at it individually, but it's an excellent question because the other thing I was getting downloaded from Spirit was to say, like, I always love to ask higher selves and guides and angels to kind of interact. So if we can't necessarily be the ones to provide those tools directly as an adult, being able to have our guides and angels kind of circumvent that behind the scenes and everything, it sounds like, again, woo-woo, but as we know, if we're here talking, the three of us, let alone the listeners, then it definitely works. Right. So Karen, obviously you are in Virginia and can only practice in Virginia. And so I'm curious if a parent is concerned about their child or their teenager and wants to connect with a psychologist, how would they go about doing that? What kinds of questions would they need to ask? If one of the things they wanted to explore was, does my child have psychic abilities? They need to find a therapist who is open to these sorts of things and is willing to entertain the possibility and would even know what those psychic abilities would look like if they were emerging. And I think the only way that they're going to be able to do that is most parents are going to be going through their insurance. So they're going to have to find a practitioner that accepts their insurance. And they're going to have to see if they can get a hold of that person, look at their bio and see if there is any information there that says that they would be open to that. So you don't say psychic or intuitive in the bio, but it may say like wellness or spiritual beliefs or something to that effect. And then they might specifically have a conversation with that person. But I can tell you that finding a child therapist is very difficult these days, even more so because of COVID. I have people that have been on my waiting list for a year. And and it's because people who see children, most kids are in school. And unless they're homeschooled and they could come to see you during the day, They want to be seen, you know, in the afternoon hours. And most therapists only have a few, you know, a few days that they're in the the clinic in the afternoon. And so when you do have people who see children, there's very few children that you can get in, carry on a caseload because of school and timing. And so there, people are calling all the time looking for a child-oriented therapist. And it's really sad that we don't have more available. So I think that it's going to be difficult even to find someone unless you're in an area where there are a lot more child-centered therapists. If you're listening and you either A, have somebody you would recommend or B, you're in a particular state and you're accepting new clients and you would like us to share your information, happy to do that. I'm not going to vet every single person. So that's going to be up to each individual person to vet them themselves. I'm not going to be able to speak on behalf of them. I'm not a qualified (laughs) professional in that regard, but happy to share your information and help connect people where it makes sense. So just did, I did want to throw that out there. Karen, if parents aren't able to get their kids in to see a psychologist necessarily, 
are there other avenues that they can go that they can maybe, I mean, again, we're talking about parents whose kids have psychic abilities, the parents are accepting of it, that kind of thing, but they still want to get their kid checked out. Like for me, I had, you know, I had some trauma and ended up going to therapy, right? I think a lot of us don't escape childhood unscathed. So, so I think that is, is, are there other, other professions out there, other resources out there that you can recommend to send parents if they don't have, say, a, a child psychologist in their area? Well, I think starting with their pediatrician, if they've got a good pediatrician, that they'll probably have connections with, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be a clinical psychologist. It could be professional counselor. It could be a social worker, an MSW that also has skills in this area. You know, there are other people who do therapy. You know, the other thing is, if there are groups, and I don't know about a lot of these, but groups where kids could learn and and practice psychic development skills and be able to talk with psychics who understand how these things emerge and could be a good mentor. Right. Now, I know for, for me, I do teach psychic development, but personally, I don't accept students under the age of 15 at this time. And I know we're, we'd like to kind of develop something for kids, but that's, that's not quite on our radar just yet. So that could be something if, if parents or kids are interested to do like a class or, or something with their child. If there's certain communities, like if you want to create your own community or support group locally, like because we were talking about how teenagers in particular, like they may not necessarily have their community within their current friend group. So I think that that's probably a good thing to pull together. Maybe if you have a certain child or teen that's super adventurous or more of a little bit of an extrovert. I know some of us tend to be introverts when we're in this path, but at the end of the day, that would be kind of cool too. So you can almost kind of create those. But also if you have those groups that you want to share again in a community world, you know, worldwide to say, hey, this is either virtual or local, we will be happy to share that information as well. Absolutely. Well, Karen, are there any other tips or resources that you can that you can share? I would like to encourage research in this area. One thing that I had shared with you before, C, is that I really feel like that there if clinicians in my profession could see some, you know, even some qualitative research in how does psychic ability emerge different from other forms of perceptual disturbances? Are there different characteristics of a spiritual awakening for children? I don't think most people in my profession know about that. You know, so it'd be nice to see some research in this area about interviewing people who are adults that are psychic and how did their, how did things emerge for them? You know, and looking for common denominators so the, we can give clinicians what to look for in an interview, you know, when you're gathering information, you know, from parents and children that can kind of help make decisions about what's going on with them sooner. Well, Nicole, they might be able to tap you for that because you've interviewed a lot of psychics in media. I was just thinking my head was spinning. It's like, um, yeah, so I've been thinking about this. The The challenge is, is that the medical community has things so formulaic, right? So it's like these things need to happen on a consistent basis in order for it to be X. And when we're talking about so many things from our human development and our childhoods and how this that, that emerges, it's hard to 
kind of crystallize it and to say, here's the path that follows. Because like you were talking, Dr. Fox, it, it kind of, in some cases, or we were all, all three of us, it's, in some cases, it's stronger in each of us. Some of us, it may be like you see ghosts, you see people who have passed over, you may see angels, you actually physically hear voices or not. It's telepathic. Like there's so many different things. And then you have to rule it out as a medical community to say, this is what falls into all of it. But yes, I totally agree. I've already kind of started to see some similarities as, you know, we evolve as humans and spiritual beings. It's not going to be the Bible. It's not going to be that ultimate checklist, but it is something. And I think that, you know, again, this is not just for me or for us on this interview to to solve. This is a call to action to the world to say, if there is something and or you're in a position where either you have money and you want to donate it to research or you can create a program to, that actually studies this, this is something that's totally open. I think it would absolutely serve the world in a much higher purpose and value if we're able to do this. And ultimately, if anything that I could could say and take away from this, it goes back to our emotions, right? And everyone's probably like, what are you talking about emotions? You keep talking about this in every other episode, but it's when you bottle it up and you can't share those experiences and you can't talk about it and you don't know who to turn to, whether it's your parents or it's other adults or each other, and you can't process it, then that's when we tend to have the shutdown, which is what we're talking about here, which is what does that shutdown look like? How does it emulate? How does it evolve? And then we don't necessarily revisit it until we get back into our adult years. And in some cases, until we're in either deep depression or having other, you know, disease and other medical issues, and it becomes a bigger issue. So the earlier we can start to have the conversations and be open to possibilities. It doesn't mean necessarily diagnosing people, but it does mean, okay, what does this look like for my own individual life? And what does this look like for a child who may be having these experiences as I am, you know, responsible for them in this world? I did want to revisit a little bit more about the shutdown in the ages because we've talked a lot about teenage, you know, and the adolescence as they're moving into, you know, usually, I guess uh, I would say 11 and 12 and into the, the teens, 13, 14, 15, 16. 16. But I would imagine that depending on somebody's individual experience as a child, there may be some earlier ages that they would experience a shutdown. And what might that potentially look like if if you can share, Dr. Fox? Yeah, uh, the earlier ages, I think it would be dependent on how people around the kids responded to it. I think if people are around the children are really frightened, they're going to definitely get the message very quickly that this is something bad and likely to shut it down. If it is met with a spirit of curiosity, wow, let's let's think about that. Let's figure it out. Let's explore this. It's going to be very, very different because children take their cues from their primary caregivers, you know, and they're always watching our nonverbals and 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 watching what we say. And, and they can read parents' fear very easily. And I think if they get any types of feeling of rejection or fear, I think younger children will more likely shut down. That's how I got my confidence. 
<laughs> was truly my parent. It was my parents' curiosity looking back on it is that they were like, oh, they may have been freaking out on the inside, but they, I mean, from me looking back, I, I don't know, but they're like, tell me more about that. And then see, you know, we've talked about it in other episodes. You had a very different experience, but you came out on top. <laughs> so I eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before, again, before we break, I would like to hear, because we haven't talked with you in particular about the shutdown. Did you have a moment where you shut down or were you able to lean in based on your guides and angels and your spiritual experience that helped you kind of, you know, what what did that look like for you and what age range were you at? So for me, I was having experiences. I started having psychic phenomena occur at a very, very young age. And I would tell my mom, I would tell my grandma, I'd tell, you know, my, my friends, and I would be met with this like I had four eyes and antennas sprouting out of my head, right? So I learned to very quickly shut that off, whereas I wasn't sharing. I did continue to have psychic phenomena occur all throughout my teenage years. I think, though, once I hit like 16, 17, 18, because I had so much anxiety, because I had so much depression, because again, childhood, I didn't come out of a childhood unscathed, right? There was trauma, but also there was that that forced shutdown, so to speak, for those around me in my inner circle. They weren't accepting or understanding or willing to understand that I was having these experiences. And so I felt ashamed, you know, and weird and like the odd man out. So I ended up really just kind of, I think, 16 through 20, sort of just blocking it out, right? So that I wasn't having the amount of experiences that I had had when I was a child. I wasn't interacting with my angels like I used, like I had done when I was a kid. I wasn't talking to dead people <laughs> when I saw them. I would just ignore them. I, I mean, I still saw them, but I wasn't you know, they were, they would come up to me and, and I would just look at them and shrug my shoulders like, sorry, I can't, I'm not doing this. And, and so I did shut it down. Of course, once I got a little older and was like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm meant to just be weird my whole life <laughs> and start, start opening up to it. And that's when things really amped up and turned up for me was when I was willing to accept it. But I had to step out into that on my own. I didn't have support. Yeah. And just add to that, and again, not to make it about me or, you know, C or anything else. And I'd love to hear from you, Dr. Fox, you know, before we close and what you experienced either in your personal life with yourself or with your children is even though I had the support of my parents, when I got into college, my college years, it was like I fully shut down. It wasn't even my teenagers. It was when I was in college because I had this decision to make about what path I was going to take. And I thought it was very black and white in terms of the world. And that was the part of me that turned me to anxiety and depression because similar to you, see, I wasn't tuning into my guides and angels and the high, my higher self and all that as much. And so it can be, and I'm not using this as like a platform to have dire consequences. This is more just to be aware, no matter where somebody is in their journey or their step or their process, just to be aware of it themselves individually, but then also how we can be supportive of each other, especially the children that we have in our lives and whatever small way or big way we can help each other, I think is, is the biggest thing. But so Dr. Fox, did you have anything like that growing up or was it until you got more into your adult years? It was more in my adult years. I was very, very curious and I was forbidden to ask questions to adults because I asked so many questions that I was annoying. And so I, I think 
I stopped asking questions of adults, but more in my adult life. But I can have those conversations now, you know, with family members that are, I know which family members you can have the conversations with and which ones not. Very true. (laughs) Well, is there anything else you would like to add, Dr. Fox? I can't think of anything. What about you, Nicole? I'm good. I think this is great. I mean, this is a big topic, the shutdown, because again, it can happen at any age, at any stage. It depends on everything in your life circumstances, the experiences you're having. So I'm just very thrilled and appreciative that you were able to join us and talk with us about this important topic. And if anyone has any additional things that they want to add or share, whether again, it's resources they found helpful, whether it's practitioners in the spiritual, practitioners in the medical community, or even even locally, in person, or virtually. I would be appreciative to share it and more than willing to do that on our end as well. So that's all I have. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Fox, for being on. Thank you, C. Appreciate everyone's time. Thank you for listening to a Psychic Story Kids Edition. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information, go to a psychicstory.com or follow Psychic Kids on Instagram. 